We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Simon Smith, welcome to the True Faith Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for doing this today. Pleasure. We should mention we're recording in your, your beautiful house in Tynemouth, overlooking the Tyne and South Shields. You've um, you've got a bit of a affiliation, a nomadic affiliation with Whitley Bay and Tynemouth, haven't you? Yeah, very much. I mean, uh, I, I regard Whitley Bay as as home, um, and and lived lived Whitley Bay area most of my life. We had a little spell in Scotland, come back, um, and even uh, when, when I've gone into my working life, um, working for the FA on a on a national basis, I still kept my base in. The northeast of England, so mm. which has been great. And it's a couple of days before Christmas. Rafa says he gets the staff presents for Christmas, and and you sometimes get presents for him. So I was wondering if gifts had been exchanged yet. Uh, he he has given us a very very nice hamper. Oh, I have really? to say, but I haven't bought him anything uh, mainly for the reason that I couldn't actually think of anything suitable <laughs> to buy him because um, he seems to have he seems to have most things. Yeah, so uh, that's been a little bit of a. An issue, but I, I have found it's been really interesting because um, there's obviously Rafa, Paco, Antonio, and Mikel, and Mikel is from the Basque Country, yeah. and I've now found out that they don't have Santa Claus in oh. the Basque Country, which I had no idea about, and he didn't know who Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was either. Really, the other stuff do, but <laughs> Mikel being from that part of Spain, so. As well as being excellent football coaches, it's a re- it's been a real um, interesting time of picking up detail yeah. <laughs> of other countries, and it's been interesting. It's been quite interesting. What sort of things are in in the hamper then that Rafa gave you? Um, well, he, he gave me he gave me an English hamper. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so it's tailored so, to the so, yeah. So the then. Spanish staff they got a what I would describe as a more Spanish. Flavoured hamper mm-hmm. with cold meats and that type of thing, olives, and whereas mine was more of an English um, <laughs> biscuits and um, yeah, cheese biscuits, uh, chocolate biscuits, that type of stuff, and a bottle of wine. Good, which is lovely, great, yeah. great. So, for listeners who don't know, I work at Match of the Day magazine, so I do interview footballers for a living. When I'm doing an interview, Preparing our, my first port of calls, often Wikipedia. Have you ever been on your Wikipedia page? Not recently. Not recently. <laughs> no. So I'm on it now. There's a lot of gaps in there. <laughs> right. I was wondering if we could fill these in. <laughs> okay. So your Wikipedia says uh, 
your senior football career started at Newcastle United in 1978. Is that right? Yes, it did. Yeah. Who was the manager then? Uh, Bill McGarry. I got off to a bit of a bad start, actually. Well, I say bad start, a, a, di- a different type of start. And it should have, it has given me great experience in one way that um, they needed a goalkeeper for the under 18s. So I left school in the summer and didn't go back to school, although I was going to. Uh, I just went training all the way through the summer with the apprentices and then instead of going back to school, became an apprentice. Stayed there for two, had a two-year apprenticeship and then in the, um, in the, at the end of that season, in the summer, when I was supposed to go and ask Bill McGarry, who has been the manager, about a contract, he got sacked on the day I went in. I was unaware of this, but I went in to see him in his office said, oh, boss, I've come to see you about, you know, getting a professional contract. And he said, well, there's no point in talking to me, so I've just been sacked. Great. And it was like, ah, right, okay. So I then went on trial for another nearly season. In fact, it was a season with Arthur Cox, because Arthur Cox came. Right. Uh, And within that season, I played for the reserves. I was always the younger one of two senior Sorry, of three goalkeepers, I was there. Had was Steve Hardwick, Kevin Carr. They were the two seniors, and there was me. Right, and one of them got injured, so I played in the reserves. There was no sub goalie on the bench then, though, oh. so I, you didn't get that yeah. connection. But played in the reserves, played at St James against Liverpool reserves. Ian Rush played, Sammy Lee, Dave Watson, who's now back as youth team coach, played. Yeah, um, and had a really good spell. And to be honest, Matthew, I thought that was probably good enough to get a contract. And then in the summer, in that summer, uh, I got a free transfer as part of the Kevin Keegan coming as a player. Ah. So 10 people got, 10 apprentices or younger players got free transfers, a bit of a clear out, me being one of them. And uh, and that's when the Kevin Keegan thing all started. You were Kevin's make weight then? <laughs> well, Getting you off the wage yeah, bill? According to the Evening Chronicle, yes. <laughs> but yeah, quite amazing. So it was one of those things, I think, you know, because like I say, they had two senior goalies. I was the younger one, probably not ready, if I look back now, to sit on the well, the play in the first team. So, But it was funny, one of the things that stuck out um, at the time, and I think the things you hang on to in your career was Jackie Milburn. The Jackie Milburn wrote for the News of the World, I think. And I remember meeting him on the steps. I got I got released. Arthur Cox had to go to the ground, and he said, look, I'm not going to offer you a contract, but... You'll be, but you'll be fine. I always remember he said, but you'll be fine. I came down the steps, I met Jackie Milburn, and he said, oh, Simon, you'll be fine. I've seen you play in the reserves. Don't worry, you'll, you'll go somewhere. So I thought, oh, well, that's, that's a good start. But uh, in the end, that was a bit of a strange one because I ended up going to Carlisle. And the Carlisle thing, Bob Stoker was a manager, Pop Robson was a coach. Um, and I went there for pre-season. And then at the end of pre-season, they said, oh, we, we go every year to the Isle of Man. We'd like to take you with us, but we can't afford to pay you. Right. And in that summer, I had got married. Uh-huh. So the thought of then going to the Isle of Man with no definite future contract or anything, um, I decided that I would go and sign for Whitley Bay instead. Yes, that's what it says here. Yeah. So this is 82, 83? Yeah, yeah 82. Huh? So Hillheads Park. Hillheads Park. How did that go? <laughs> Uh, to start off with, great. Uh, I loved it. I got more money being playing for Whitley, being Whitley Bay's goalkeeper than did being an apprentice at Newcastle, even in my third year. So I thought, oh, this is this is great. I got a job in a sports shop locally, which was great. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, the, the, and I shouldn't say this, but looking back now, those days of non-league football, I mean, there were some very good non-league footballers. What level was this then? What level? Well, um, I think we were in the Northern League okay. at the time. Yeah, with North Shields, like Spartans, those type of teams. Uh, very comp- spending more, very competitive. As I say, a lot of lads who'd been released or actually finished their career. So there was a real mix of like young player and senior professional who've now retired but still wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then they had a change of manager. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> that was the first time I came across the thing of somebody not fancying me. Is that, I think that's the correct term as a goalie. Uh, he came from another club and wanted to bring his own goalkeeper. Okay. And, uh, and did. And I fought for my place for a little while and then. Um, luckily or unluckily, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, Gates said they had a bit of a goalkeeping crisis, so I wasn't playing for Whitley Bay, so I went to, on loan, to, so to speak, um, to play for Gates said, and never came, <laughs> never went back. Wow! And, and then, and yeah. was that a step up then? Because were they in the conference? Yeah, yeah it was a step up, and um, you know, the, the, well, the best standard of non-league football that you could play in, in the northeast of England, and that obviously was something that was. If I wasn't going to be good enough to play in the football league, then that was my next my next best. Mm-hmm. So. so, like a good journalist, I've been doing my research, and um, I said I wouldn't reveal my sources, <laughs> but I've heard of a, a couple of good stories you might have up your sleeve. What about the one you were, the game you were concussed in before you went on holiday? <laughs> yeah, do you remember this? Yeah, I do. Um, I was very proud that I had a a consecutive record. So um, I went. I signed for Gateshead. And played. I'm, this is where it goes a bit, a bit, a bit blurred. But not because I got a bat on the head. Mm-hmm. But we came a bit. But I had a real good spell. And I was in the three hundreds of games of consecutive games, not missing a game. Wow. And uh, it came to the last game of the season, and I said to the manager, he said, "I'm not going to play you." I said, "Well, then I'd lose the consecutive record, and I'd really like to keep it going." He said, "I'll play you to half time." So I said, right, so I played till half-time and it was a very tight game and I, and I don't think it was really, there was any meaning to the game, if you know what I mean. It wasn't promotion or relegation or anything. And um, came out for the second half and uh, I can't actually remember Matthew, that I still for this day can't remember the actual, it, it was a, I knew it was a corner, but then woke up in Gateshead, Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Right. Uh, and when I woke up, they had put a pillow between my feet and put my boots on the pillow. <laughs> it was a bit bizarre. And, uh, yeah, and so, and that was the last game and then mm-hmm. had all the summer to recover, which it's one of those funny things, isn't it, concussion? You think, oh, yeah, you just get a knock on the head. But it was, like, proper, yeah, so much so that I, I actually, at one point, wondered whether I would be able to carry on. Really? And did you yeah. make the holiday the next day? Um, no. <laughs> the holiday was cancelled? No, holiday got cancelled, but we went the following week because on doctor's advice, he said, well, you may as well just go and sit, because all I was doing was, like, sitting, looking out the window. He said, well, you may as well go sit in warmer climbs. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, yeah, so we did get on holiday in the end, mm-hmm. and I kept my record going, so mm-hmm. that was... So the sparse Wikipedia page says that uh, you left Gateshead in ni- 1995? 1995, yeah. To Carlisle United, is that right? Um, well, <laughs> so I decided at the age of 30, uh, at the end of the season, that I had played 500 games exactly. How how that worked, I still to this day didn't plan or anything. 
uh, but it just so I went and I said to the manager um, Colin Richardson was a manager God love him he's passed away now um, and I said and I think he, he obviously thought I was going to ask for another contract I went and said oh by the way thanks very much I've decided to retire I've played 500 games uh, I think I ended up playing 360 or 350 something consecutive and um, I've decided to, to retire so I was like oh right okay then so that's when I embarked on the on the coaching side of my uh, of my career. So and went to Carlisle. That was my first job. Um, but because I was still of an age where I could play, I ended up playing <laughs> playing and coaching. Not not regularly playing, but playing if people. So I got a job at Carlisle uh, through Mervyn Day, and then I got a job at Sunderland mm-hmm. with Peter Reid. Mm. And uh, ended up <laughs> ended up playing for Sunderland reserves. Did you? Which was quite bizarre because you know that wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. But because he could still play. So and did you play for Carlisle's first team? No, reserves? no sub. Uh, that, that's when I had in subs. I was sub at Gillingham away. That's as close as I got for Carlisle. For Carlisle, okay. yeah. Yeah. And then Sunderland, you coached under Peter Reid first team. Yes, first team when they won the championship to get into the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Alec Chamberlain was my goalie. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, when that crossover comes when Peter Reid wanted to bring Tony Coton, mm-hmm. who he'd had at Manchester City, couldn't get him. I think he was injured to start off with and then couldn't get him. So managed to keep um, Alec Chamberlain going for most of the season, mm-hmm. stay at the top of the league. And then with 10 games to go, uh, I went in one day and he said to me, um, I don't need you anymore. Uh, I'm bringing a young lad from Blackburn Rovers. He said he's, I'm taking a bit of a risk. But he's going to train at Blackburn and come and play for me at the weekend. And this I, was Shea Given. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, well, as later on, it's quite bizarre. Yeah. And I have said to <laughs> Shea, you know, you did cost me my job at Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's funny how, how well, that's football. So, so Peter Reid disposed of you as a coach. Well, so Peter Reid disposed of me for 10 games. What he'd, what he'd forgotten is there was 11 games to go. So right. Shea came, yeah. played the games, kept. An unbelievable number, like seven clean sheets in ten games, was terrific. Went back to Blackburn to do his goalkeeper coaching with Terry Geno, who later came to yeah. Newcastle and was my boss at Newcastle. Yeah. And then for the last week of the season, I got a phone call to say, hey, you wouldn't like to come back because uh, we've got one game left and Alex going to have to play and he'd like you to come back. So I went back for the last right. game of the season. And then they suddenly went into the Premier League but then you you moved on. Yes, I'd, I yeah moved on to. Well, I'm not sure where I went after that. You, you very nearly had a cameo in Premier Passions then that famous documentary <laughs> that Sunderland did in the nineties. Yes, which was that was yeah. In fact, I think that that was the season that they filmed that. Yeah, so you so would have just I, left. I think before, I just before. yeah managed to <laughs> managed to escape that. So anyone who who um, was involved in in goalkeeping in the mid nineties to early two thousand probably. Will have been on one of your goalkeeping courses. You had a, a popular, thriving yeah, very, goalkeeper school. Yeah, I am very, very pr- proud of the people who attended as either goalkeepers or celebrities. Um, who have we had then? Well, we had Brad Friedel, we had Richard Wright, we had um, Neil Sullivan, David James. Um, these are guys coming along to these do were, a bit of coaching yeah, and meet, these meet were, the young goalkeepers. Yes, came some. Yeah, Chris Woods was another one. Some wanted to get involved and full on and <laughs> come with a kit. Some just were quite happy to go around and talk to people, do a question and answer, 
give away certificates at the end. A, a real mix of people, but um, again, it's, it's funny how things come round and then I move into the job that I'm in now, but, but obviously years ago, and then you get to meet these people in a different realm. Yeah. But the Well, so this season we played Manchester City away, mm-hmm. and unfortunately their goalkeeping coach, who's a Spanish guy, he was injured, so Richard was doing the goalkeeping. And it's like the first thing he said to me, hey, do you remember that course I came to in Chigwell? And he was the one who wanted to take part and be in the goal and show the kids and help the kids. Wow. But still remembered yeah. that. What about um, some of the young goalkeepers you might have coached on those courses? Did anyone make it through and make a I living think, out of the game? I think me, me, me most famous one, because he's played for England, would be Fraser Foster. So he came on the course. So Fraser Foster came on a course at Killingworth Young People Centre. We used to do a photograph of the group and he was the tallest by far on the on the group photo. And how old would he have been at this stage? Probably about fourteen. Right. Um, yeah, and came a couple a couple of years, but it's been interesting going and doing the job also for the FA when I got to meet some of the best young goals in the country, and uh, he'd say, "Oh, hello, I'm Simon Smith. Pleased to meet you." And they'd say, "Oh, I've met you before." So I say, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "Oh, come on, <laughs> happened to me twice." He said, "Yeah, come on, of course you did at Southampton." Wow. So I got a free ball. Wow. So we didn't remember the goalkeeper. We're talking about England goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah. young England goalies. Yeah. yeah. There's a lad at Reading. I'm, I'm going to struggle with the name. Now. Yeah. There was a guy, a lad who played for Southampton, and there's a lad who is at Reading. Um, I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember the names. But it was, but it's been funny how, yeah. you know, people have have gone on and played and remember you and, yeah. I mean, I remember you personally from the the the, the coaching scene. Yeah. And then I remember in the late nineties opening the Evening Chronicle uh, one pre-season, seeing the the team photo, Rude Hullet's Newcastle team for the forthcoming season, and there you were on the end. All of a sudden, your, your first team coach at Newcastle <laughs> yeah. United. So, yeah. a bit of a dream, a bit of a dream come true, living the dream. I yeah. Think, what there? happened there then? Uh, I was doing the academy. So Terry Geno was the first team goalkeeping coach. I did the academy. I had done the academy even when I did the Sunderland and Carlisle thing. I did Newcastle's academy because John Carver. I was an I, I was an apprentice. He was a schoolboy, and John had then, uh, unfortunately, retired through injury, and became academy director. So asked me to go and do his goalkeeping, which was great. Um, and then obviously he got the job as first team coach at, with Rude Hullard. And uh, Terry Geno decided that he was going to go to Celtic with Kevin Dalglish, I think. So John said to me, "Look, Rude's looking for somebody else, but do you fancy doing it just for pre-season?" So I said, "Oh, I'd love to." So stepped up to doing it for pre-season. Uh, we went on a tour of Scotland, went to Holland. Uh, he sent me scouting to buy a new goalie, which was the first time I'd ever done anything like that, mm-hmm. which was an experience. And then um, I tried two other people, Ed Degoy and Dave Besant. As coaches? As coaches. Mm-hmm. But neither of them... Well, Dave Besant had been there as a player and had a bit of a bad time, so he didn't want to come back. And then... Didn't, I think he went back to Holland, so so it was me. So I I got uh, did I get the job by default? That's a good, great question. But yeah, but stayed well. Basically, just stayed doing it, and um, yeah, obviously going back to the club he'd been as a player, and then well, obviously the disappointment was that. So I got I, you know they said officially look, the job's yours if you'd like it. So I said yes, great. And then two weeks later, we got sacked. Mm. The famous the night famous. against Sunderland when it poured a rain and had. We'd borrowed Tommy Wright by that time yeah. from, from Manchester City. Wow. Cool. Um, what do you remember from that night then? 
uh, I remember I, I sat next to the dugout, but not in it. Mm -hmm. So in all the pictures, the famous pictures of Alan Shearer stood behind Rude, it needed to be wider because I was sat getting absolutely soaked at the the side. And yeah, it was a it was a yeah that classic of oh he hasn't played Alan Shearer. Such a strange night. Stretch strange. And and we we in the midst of a goalkeeping crisis at the time. Hence, yeah, we, yeah, hence Tommy we Wright playing. Yeah, we were. We um. Well, Rude didn't really fancy Shea or Steve Harper, so that was a interesting one. So he told me to go and find a new goalie. As I say, that's that was my first experience of going abroad. I went to watch a lad play for Anderlecht, um, who uh, he didn't sign for us. Eventually, he went to Manchester City. Okay. And uh, it, it didn't happen. And then we brought John Carrells. Mm -hmm. And we already had Lionel Perez wow. as well. So, and then I think, um, I think John got injured. Well, I think he might have played the first three games and didn't do very well. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so we got Tommy Wright on loan, who'd obviously been at Newcastle before. Yeah. A terrific lad and experienced goalie. And then, obviously... He got sacked. Uh, Rude yeah. got sacked. Yeah. Shea, who'd been injured all pre-season, came back, mm -hmm. and then we were off on another uh, another, another adventure, adventure, so to speak. So Bobby Robson took over, and quite remarkably, yeah, really, yeah. you know, Simon Smith, who's played non-league football, and yeah, been <laughs> been at Newcastle, but all of a sudden you're faced with an absolute, even you know, an absolute legend of a of a of a coach, of a manager, of you know, and that. The, I think I mentioned it before that classic of he got me we trained we trained at Chesley Street at the time and getting me as I'm walking through the the uh, reception so it was just a sports centre saying I'm going to have a word and I thought oh well this is it I'm going to get the sack here mm -hmm. and saying look you don't know me and I don't know you and I'm looking at him thinking well I do know <laughs> <laughs> you might not know me but I know you and uh, he said we'll see how it goes just get on with it, see how it goes. And I'd heard rumours that he was going to bring Mike Kelly, who we'd had with England and all the rest of it, but but he didn't. And uh, for whatever reason, yeah. he didn't. Um, and I just continued on. And, yeah. he, and, he, and in the four years I was there until he left, not once did he speak to me again. Not in the, in the, for that reason, mm -hmm. about doing the job. Just, wow. uh, yeah. I'm sure you watched the Sir Bobby Robson documentary that was, that was out recently. It's just gone on Netflix and... Yeah. What struck me about it is, and I think Alan Shearer says this. He said, "Bobby was a so Bobby was a bit mad, and it kind of worked. And the the yeah. man management was spot on, and, and the players really warmed to him because he ha he was such a quirky guy." Yeah. Do, it, do you agree with that? It's a it's a funny one, Matthew. He he was <laughs> be careful. He was he was. We we and I say we. So there's John Carver, Paul Winsper, who's a fitness coach, myself. And eventually he brought a lad called Dave Geddes, who had been a player with him at Ipswich. And he considered us to be his young lads. So at times he was really difficult to work with. He, what he, and, and in, a, in, a, in a nice way, in a very professional way, he was a winner. He wanted everything done perfectly. Uh, if, if he was in the office or at work, you need to be at the office or at work. He had that, you know, there... The, the work ethic of years gone by, <laughs> I was going to say that now, um, stickler for detail, and it, as I say, he expected you to have the same, and if you didn't, he would, uh, he, I think he felt that he could mould us, 
into what he wanted us to be. And, I, and I, looking back now, at the time you don't know that, but looking back now, and I think, I think I found that out as well when he'd left the club and I'd left, that I, that's when I got more friendly with him because I could then ask him the questions that as a boss and coach, that, and a young coach that you couldn't ask. So, like you're saying, the odd things, like one, I always remember one Christmas we got invited into uh, the chairman's suite at St James's Park and so Bobby was there and Paul Winsper, John and myself were there and Paul Winsper plucked up the courage to ask him if we could have Christmas Day off. We were playing Boxing Day, Leicester. Mm, right. And Paul plucked up the courage to ask him if we could, we don't need to train really on Christmas Day because, you know, we've trained all the way up and we're now playing Leicester. And he said, right, okay, let me think about that. And then, so he stood there for, for what seemed an age, but it wasn't. And they said, yeah, okay, we'll have Christmas Day off. But, and then, so we said, oh, that's great. And we then said, right, bye-bye, we're off now. And as we got to the door, he shouted to Paul, and if we lose at Leicester, you're sacked. <laughs> and we, like, laughed. And as we've looked around and looked at his face, it's like, I said to, to Windy, we called him Windy. I said, Windy, I think he meant that. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the kind of thing you were never quite sure. Yeah. Sometimes with, with him, whether he meant it or yeah. whether. So it was quite nice. And even... You know, as I say, when he'd left and I'd left, and did we win at Leicester, by the way? Yes, I think we did. I think we did. Um, and when I, I said to him, "You wouldn't have sacked Paul, would you?" And he just had that, like, the glint in his eye that he had mm -hmm. of to say, "Well, I'm not telling you because that's you know." Yeah. <laughs> but but you'd suspect, obviously not. But yeah, he had that. There's there's tons of good Bobby Robson stories. The calling Shola Ramiobi called court and all the mad stuff. I wondered if you had a rare one. That you could give us that maybe we haven't heard. God. I'm not sure about a rare. Well, I mean, for the for the first, um, I don't know. I was going to say for the first six months, but probably for the first season, he used to call me goalkeeping lad. Yeah, because he couldn't remember. He couldn't remember my name. Yeah. So I didn't get the Carl Court thing. I just got, and it got quite, you know. So we'd be in, we'd be somewhere, and he would. Uh, this is John. This this is Dave, and this is. Um, Goalkeeper, goal yeah. but no, I mean one of the, one of the best. Um, he was in, he was he was into into cricket, and uh, I started to get involved with doing some wicketkeeping work through another contact. A lad called Paul Farbase, who's now the assistant coach for England cricket, was a goalie at Gillingham. Uh, contacted the FA. I'd like to see somebody work in goalkeeping. Who you know? So Paul came up from the south to to Benwell where I did a, a goalkeeping session for the FA, which was basically all the young goalkeepers in the area, so Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Hartlepool, Darlington, I think even Carlisle. So their goalkeepers used to come to me once a month on a Sunday. Paul came up to watch, and anyway, we struck a friendship. And then as Paul's career moved on, he did a thing uh, for the ECB called Level well, it was Level 4 Wicket Keeping. So I said to Sir Bobby, I've got this friend and he's in cricket. And as I say, I knew that Sir Bobby like, enjoyed the cricket with his Durham connection and England. And he used to say, oh, I'd love to go watch the Ashes and all that. So I said, look, they've got a group of coaches coming up. Can they, um, you know, can they come and watch training? Said, oh, yes, 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 fine, fine. So uh, what I didn't quite realise, there was about 30 people. I thought it was just maybe a group of 12 or 10. But anyway, these 30 people arrived, but within the 30... There was some like top cricket, what well, for me famous cricketers, like uh, Tom Moody, Mark Rampakash, um, 
Andy Flower. <laughs> and it was like, oh, right. And anyway, so we went to training and uh, they've come to watch the <laughs> to watch my goalkeeping session. So they're, they're behind the fence and I've just started and I'm just really doing what I would do at Shea and Harps and uh, Tony Cage. And I'm working away. And then all of a sudden, I've seen Sir Bobby come walking over. And I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting what he's going to say. And he just went up to the crowd and he said, oh, you don't want to be watching him. Come come with me. He's, he's boring doing the goalkeeping. Come So he, he, he collected 30 people, <laughs> put them where he wanted them on the side of the pitch and then conducted his session so they could all watch. All right. So it was like, you thought, oh, that's, that's fine. And they loved it, obviously, because they're, they're now in the presence of Sir Bobby Robson. So in the afternoon, I said to him, uh, would you just do 10 minutes of a question and answer? And he said, oh, I've got to be at the ground for three o'clock. So look, honestly, 10 minutes would be fine. And he goes, oh, well, yeah. So we'll, I'll, I'll get them in there. You just come in. He'll answer, ask a few questions. So anyway, so we get in. <laughs> so we got all these people in the room. And um, there was one lady cricket coach amongst the group. And we got in and he came in and he sat at the front. And he made, he made John and I <laughs> stand behind him, like either side of him, which was, it was bizarre. It was a bit like... Um, he was on the throne and we were like standing there. And I always remember it. He said, uh, okay, uh, I haven't got long, so any questions? And anyway, this little lady was the first lady to, first to put the hand up. And uh, she said, um, so Bobby, can you tell me, um, what is it that you look for when you're looking at players, either to buy or players that you've got? Or what exactly is it that you look for? I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> and he went, mm, oh, good, good question. And as soon as he said good question, you know he's buying time. <laughs> and um, he sat there, oh, Matthew, it's, it seemed like ages. And I had this thing with him. Sometimes I used to prompt, <laughs> prompt him because he, he, if he took a bit of time to answer, I used to try and, try and help him as you do. And sometimes if I got it wrong, he would like look at me and say, yes, thank you, Simon, I was going to answer so I thought well, I'm not answering this one because I don't actually know what the answer is and he, he sat there and eventually he said well you know just um, you know if they if they can run and they've got a good touch on the ball and and it was like really and you're thinking to yourself he doesn't actually know how he does it it's just something that he looks at and he knows what it looks like uh -huh. so so he, he kind of just Really, that's all he said, and he went quiet. So I'm thinking, oh well, it's a start. So, but to be fair, the lady, she, she's, back, she's back up, and she said, "Could you expand on? That? Could you expand on that a little bit?" And it's like, oh my goodness gracious! And so he sat there, was to say, seemed another like three minutes, or but it wasn't probably thirty seconds. And he said, "I'll tell you how I do it." I thought, hey, this is going to be good. He said, "You know." If you're in this, if you're in the car and you're driving along the street and you see an attractive woman on the other side of the road, he said, "You know she's attractive, don't you?" And there's like, honestly, like, like people just sitting there. He said, "That's how I do it." Wow. And that was it. <laughs> and, you, and at the time, you thought, hey, "You can't say things like that for one, but two, like." But then, when you think about, when you thought about it, he was saying that he knew, be through his experience and all the things he'd been through. He knew just by looking at people what what a good player looked like, mm -hmm. and he did it to us in a game. We were getting, we think we played Tottenham at home, and we were getting absolutely torn to pieces. 
And as I say, there was a lot of, <laughs> John and myself, because we were young, we didn't sometimes have the, the, the bottle, for want of a word, to say something. But then we were getting absolutely, and I always remember, I said, we're possibly getting absolutely torn apart here. And uh, he said, don't worry, Simon, as calmly, I always remember, as calmly, he said, don't worry, Simon, it'll change. And I've looked at John and I'm thinking, oh, he's cracked, he's cracked up here. He doesn't, you know, how's it going to change? And I'm not being funny, Matthew, within two minutes, we're on top. And I think we might have even scored what you would, what we would describe against the run of play. But he just had that. He had so much experience that he just knew. He just knew the way that the game worked, what, how people were, whether you were winning a 50-50 tackle with a 50-50 header, whether people were running harder. He just knew. And I always remember our, <laughs> we played Arsenal in the FA Cup. It was a 12 o'clock kickoff, And I think at five past 12, we were 2-0 down. And we were sitting there and he said, uh, do you think anybody would notice if we went? <laughs> and it was like, look at I looked at John and John's like, look at him. He said, well, you know, because we're not going to get anything this afternoon. He said, we might as well just go now. And we got beat 2-0. Wow. And it was like, the only time it backfired on him, I played Leicester away wasn't Boxing Day, and I think we were, we were, I think we were two nil down again. And he said, "Oh, nothing this afternoon. We're not going to get anything this afternoon." And to be fair to John, John said, "Oh, I'm not so sure." We scored one, scored again, got back to two all, and then he said, well, we've, "We've done well. That's great, you know, to get back." And John, <laughs> now feeling a bit confident, said, oh, "I think we're going to win this, just because we'd scored twice." And and all we all did, wow. and that's the only time that I thought that, that he got it a little bit wrong, but he just he just as I say with his experience he just knew football. Amazing, so just a natural intuition. Yeah, and he used to do. He used to. I I had a piece of paper, and then he would say to me. So in the the games going on, and he'd say, I don't know. Say if Kieran Dyer lost the ball, he'd say, uh, Simon, write that down. <laughs> write that down. Kieran's lost the ball. So I'd write Kieran Dyer lost the ball, and then uh, Nicholas Tabidas might you know, uh, miss a header. Simon, write that down. Dabados, missed header. Write it down. So at half-time, I used to stand in the corner of the changing room. He used to deliver his his debrief, or half-time team, or whatever you want to call it. And I'm not being funny, Matthew. He would, he would in his conversation, go through every point that was on my piece of paper. Right? Week after week. And not once... And they used to say to me, when, he, when he'd finished, he'd say, Simon, did I miss anything? And he used to say, no, boss, you've got it all. And they used to call me, you know, <laughs> uh, God, what was it called? There was a, a programme on the telly where there was a little, uh, a small guy, and he used to say, no, boss. <laughs> I'm trying to think what it was called. <laughs> anyway, the lads used to take the mic because every week I used to say, no, boss, you've got it all. Really? But he had, he had a memory. So I wrote it down, but he didn't really need me to write wow. it down. And yeah, and he put right. all the points. So if, even if it was like 15, 20 points, he would cover them. And they were all in and there. And they were all in there. Wow. And he thought, I used to think that. I was, I, it was like a magic trick, you know. Yeah. You write it down on the piece of paper. <laughs> but, but honestly, but he had that kind of memory as well. Yeah. And, you know, talking about his man management, that's where he was so good. He never missed anything. So even if he didn't, even if, we used to sit there and think, oh, he's missed that. Somebody would make a, a clever comment or a derogatory comment or whatever and you think oh he hasn't heard and then like three weeks later when the time needed it he would just come in and say yeah well what about the comment you made three weeks ago and the lads would be like oh my god he heard it. right yeah and so just had, 
just had that kind of. So maybe he deserves ability. a bit more credit in in that department. Oh, no, detail. honestly, Matthew, when you read, uh, I've done a few. When you read management leadership, um, there's a book by um, Woden, I think it is. He's a, he was a very famous basketball coach in America, mm-hmm. and I read it, and I've read it, and it's like the Bible for coaching in America, and I'm thinking to myself. In fact, it's over there on the shelf. Wilden's yeah. coaching. Oh, is it? And uh, and I read it, and I thought, he's read this, Sir Bobby. He's read it, and he's. But obviously, it wasn't written until you know long after Sir Bobby started his career and all the rest of it. And he, yeah, he just had that ability to to bring the best out of people. Yeah, amazing, amazing guy. And I think maybe um, as a sign of your respect for him, when he was asked to leave the club, you resigned as well with, with nowhere to go. <laughs> Was, was, did, was, was that because as, of what how the as, club had treated him? As he said, bravely or st- you're either brave or stupid. That was his exact words. I <laughs> when think. he heard you'd left as yeah, well. Yes, so I, I resigned um, from my job. Wrote me letter to the club. Resigned. Nobody had ever resigned from a job. I don't think at Newcastle United. And then I thought I'm going to have to ring him and tell him. So I rang him. I was wrong. Uh, boss, just to let you know that I resigned. And he said, "You're either very brave or stupid." I was like, "Ah, right, okay." That wasn't what I really wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. And he said, uh, right, okay then, so what are you going to do? I said, well, at this moment in time, I've got no idea. got a few ideas, but nothing. And he said, well, I'll obviously try and help you in any way I can. Don't know whether I'm going to get another job myself. Because at the time, I think there was talk of him going to Wolves, which mm-hmm. was a bit of a strange one. But mm-hmm. I, but there was some connection with Wolves. And where else did he? He was at Ireland for a bit. Yeah, but that, came, that came a bit later. I mean, right. one day, Matthew, you rang up. And he said, are you with it? And by, as I said, by that time, we'd got to know him. I wouldn't say, well, yeah, I would personally. If you, and then I knew Lucy, my wife. And he said, Lucy with you? And I said, yes. And he said, um, can you ask her if she fancies going to Russia? And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. He said, I'm in for the Russia national job with Gus Hiddink, I think, who, who got it in the end. And he said, yeah. He said, you wouldn't have to go and live there all the time. But, but we could get a flat in Moscow. Ask Lucy if she fancies it. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then in the uh, he, as, it, as it went on, he actually, what was... This really summed up, Matthew, for me. I resigned through my own choice, and and he'd obviously been sacked. But he felt guilty that, he, that he'd left us behind. And we went out for dinner in the Copthorne, and he did this speech, which actually drove... True, that's the right word, or, or moved some people <laughs> up the table to tears, where basically he apologised for getting sacked, which was obviously no fault of his own, and, and how it had affected us, you know, our families and people, and honestly, but he had that, he had that ability to do the Churchillian, I think is the right word, speech, and a great talker, and yeah, and he, he actually felt, and so one day we were, <laughs> We were in the Copthorne. I'd gone out. I went out for lunch with him, and and uh, he said, "Have you got a job yet, son?" I said, "No, not yet. I'm, I'm trying. I've you know I've spoken to a few people." And he said, uh, "Man United are looking for a goalkeeping coach, aren't they?" So I said, "Yeah, I believe so." Uh, Tony Curtin's left, and I'll ring Sir Alex. So I thought, "Oh, so oh, that's, that's really nice of you." <laughs> the next minute, I'm sat there. He's on his phone. Uh, Sir Alex, it's Sir Bobby. Oh, it's, he didn't come. So he said, "Alex, it's Bobby." And it's like, and I'm I, Lucy was with her. I'm looking at Lucy, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. He said, "I've got Simon Smith with me. Uh, he needs a job." He said, uh, "He was my goalkeeping coach in Newcastle, and he's not there anymore, but he needs a job." 
And, that, and obviously Sir Alex is like, oh, oh um, um, right, um, well, uh, tell them to send a CV in, to be fair. He said, tell them to send a CV in, uh, give the name of the secretary who I should send it to and all the rest of it. And then, you know, we'll go from there. I, I honestly, my theology, you just, as I say, just rang him up and, yeah, well, thanks very much, Alex. That's lovely. Nice to be you. Okay, yeah, chat, chat. And then, like, put the phone down. And yeah. It was like, oh, right, okay. That's a pretty good reference. Great reference. Wrong. I mean, obviously, in the end, I didn't go, Matthew. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, didn't go. But for him to, you know, think of me that highly that he would recommend me to another legend was fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. So in between this time then, this was mid-2000s, 2000, yeah, 2004. 2004. What what happened then? You you did you did a few different bits and pieces yeah, with the FA um, and well, first of all, um, it's like well, so what do you do next? So you've done the job, you've done your dream job, you've done the Premiership thing, you've been the Champions League, which was unbelievable, mm-hmm. um, and I had also done previous um, while I was still playing for Gateshead, I'd done a degree in sports studies, and. That bit of looking for the next bit of knowledge, looking for the next bit to take you maybe to the next level, but also in the in the coaching of passing your information to other people and all the rest of it. And um, just through, um, I still had Simon Smith goalkeeping and, and through the kind of um, Northeast Business uh, Chamber of Trade, a lady there, Liz Chambers, she said, you know, um, what you could do is you could go to another country find experts in a field of coaching that we haven't got, go in for a year and study their methods and then come back and use it in whichever way you want. And for that, you would get a grant from the British government. And to be fair, would, I'm sorry, to come back, we'd also, we'd all, I'd already been, even when I was at Newcastle, I went to Iceland on like a, a trade visit thing which was quite remarkable. I, that's the first time I'd been on television like in Iceland and <laughs> People like that, which was really good. And, um, yeah, so went through the process, found two experts in Iceland in the biomechanics of goalkeeping. Or, well, I was that's what my topic was, biomechanics of goalkeeping. And then um, found these two lads in Toronto, experts in the field. They'd actually, they'd actually been, the two of them, had been to Newcastle for a visit so and were terrific. And then, um, so I went there. So, so, so I went. To, I got a grant from the British government. Went to Toronto. We actually lived in Vancouver, but went to Toronto for a year. Worked with these two guys. Um, yeah, all. Yeah, just to, it really did take it to the next level technically. You know, um, body body shapes and te- real technical detail of. You put your foot here. Where can you generate your power from, and you know, yeah. and all this type of stuff. And so you really geeked out. On some of it, in. some of it backed up mm-hmm. what I, th- I knew already. Some of it was like, all oh, right, okay, then I need to have a think about that. Does that really work in the way that you think, and all that? Um, but yeah, really enjoyed that, and had a had a year out there, uh, and then with <laughs> within that year in Vancouver, I got the Canadian National Goalkeeping Coach's job. Uh, which didn't actually turn out to be very good at all. And then I went to work with a guy called Frank Yallop, who was the, at the time the coach of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. LA Galaxy, pre-David Beckham, but had played for Sir Bobby right. at, at Ipswich. Ipswich yeah. And then, um, yeah, so had a little experience in the States, in the MLS, which was 
upgrade mm-hmm. and then came back um, wrote up my research how did I use it probably probably really because Goku been such a a specific area probably only in goalkeeping mm. I think the idea was that you were then going to pass all your information on and make somebody a gold medalist in the Olympics or something like that mm-hmm. but obviously because mine was specific to be fair cr- cricket I could transfer it into so I got more involved in coaching cricket coaches um, which was interesting and then uh, as we, just after we'd come back um, a job became available at the FA mm. as National Youth Goalkeeping Coach. Mm. So you've worked, and what this would have been around about two thousand and ten ish. Yeah. 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 Working with the 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 goal the young goalkeepers, fifteen to twenty one. Yeah. Well, six, 16, 16 to nineteen. That was my kind of age group. So my first goalkeeper was first goalkeepers were um, Paul Rebuka and Matt Murray. Yeah. Who is now on the Sky Sports? Yes, Wolves. They were, they were, yeah, Wolves. Yeah, uh, they were the first two. Poland away. I still remember it to this wow. very day. We all you had to wear blazer and flannels and the whole proper England thing. duty. England duty. Yeah, and then going through the years, I have to say, the bit that, that I've I've really enjoyed, it, and I know I'm jumping the gun, but going back into the job I've got now is the fact that I've worked with um, Tom Heaton. Joe Hart, Jack Butland, Jordan Pickford, um, come on else, uh, Fraser Foster. Mm. Who else has played? So probably senior. So a lot of yeah. lads who've come through England youth, mm-hmm. who have gone on to play for England seniors, mm-hmm. and now play in the Premier League. Yeah. So we played Burnley the other day, and it got uh, delayed. So I got to actually catch up with Joe Hart and Tom Heaton, but but they still remember. Those international days, and I, and, I, and that's a bit. I've got to say, it's a bit of it. I really enjoy. Yeah, that's good. Is that you've had experience with them when they're young players, mm-hmm. and they still remember. Yeah, you know, that's brilliant. Yeah. So so yeah, yeah. I, and I've got to say, I really enjoyed the the, the England thing. I was lucky enough to win the European Championships uh, with Freddie Woodman, who's at Newcastle now mm-hmm. with me, and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny, we played Wolves the other day and they, they've got a lad playing for Wolves who played for Portugal in the same tournament when we played Portugal. Was that Rui Patricio? Uh, no, a, a, a centre-forward oh. for Portugal. Oh, is right. it Neves, Neves, is it? Jimenez. Jimenez. Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, he was sub. Ruben, Ruben Neves. Yeah, could yeah. have been. He, yeah. was, he was the centre-forward and in the first half, Matthew, we got absolutely annihilated but they couldn't score. And one of them, this lad, shot, hit the bar... And it bounced back as Fred turned. It bounced back into his hands. Wow. And I really would have liked to have spoken to the lad and say, "You don't remember, do you, playing yeah. the under seventeen? Probably, probably didn't. But it was just interesting that there's people. So you meet the opposition people who, who yeah. play. And I, and I wish now that, and I didn't, but I wish now that I had kept the team sheets from the people we'd play yeah. to see who el- who else is. You know, it's all right. So I know for people for England, but to see who else who has else played, made it, yeah. And made it. We should probably talk about England's number one at the minute, Jordan Pickford, yeah. who, who is from the northeast, someone you'll know really well. Obviously, he's big Sunderland connections, so <laughs> some people on the podcast might not appreciate him. I, I've interviewed Jordan. Yeah. I really like him. Yeah. Um, I think he's really down to earth, not a dishonest bone in his body. <laughs> no. A very simple lad. 
Yeah. Just perfectly built to stop footballs. Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell us about your when you first maybe yeah, came across I mean, right, Jordan. Right from um, under 16s. Um, the FA were one of the first people to video your sessions. So I've, uh, and I, I might sound a bit sad, but I mentioned this to him the other night. We played Everton and Drew, and I said to him, I said, we were chatting on after the, I spoke to him after the game, and I said, I've no, I'll never forget you because I've still got you as a 16 year old on my computer from a session that we did, the, I think the first time it came, it was a Victory Shield, you know, it was on Sky Sports, the Victory Shield, and then went all the way through, went to the World Cup in Mexico with him at under-17s, we got the semi-finals against Germany and lost, unfortunately, um, and yeah, and gone 18s, 19s, and then I, I did, just before I left to come back to Newcastle, I did one under-21 game, and he played, mm-hmm. so I'd followed him all the way through, and like you say, Matthew, uh, <laughs> Sunderland through and through, mm-hmm. but, Obviously, slightly different when you're with England. It's like we're with England, and so you forget where you've come from, and just um, yeah. Uh, 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 I was going to say driven. I'm not sure whether driven's the right word, but just somebody who just loved loved playing. Loved the thing, you know. Just yeah, you could ask him to do any anything. And I mean, one of the clips I've got is we went to Mexico, as I say, for the World Cup. And uh, one day we asked two Mexican goalies to come and join us. And I've got footage. We did rotational shooting into two goals. And there's two, there's two Mexican. Now, whether they ever went on to do it. But he was quite happy just to just wanted to do goalkeeping. Yeah. And that's and the, as I say, to this day, he hasn't forgotten where he's like. He's done unbelievably well at the World Cup. And then, you know, I, I sent him a... When he, when he moved to Everton, I sent him a thing saying, I never thought he'd go for that much money. Mm. You know, kind of tongue-in-cheek. And he, and he wrote back, yeah, I know, it's great, isn't it? And it's yeah. like, yeah, you're not really that bothered, but yeah. he just wants to play football. And his, his USP, his, his distribution, was that always there from a, from a young age? Yeah, was... yeah, yeah, you always, uh, I mean, he's left-footed, like myself, so, yeah, always had that um, that ability to do something. It, I mean, it's, it, there's two bits of that, isn't there, Matthew? There's seeing it and there's delivering it. And he, But he, it, it was quite funny, he, he always had that kind of football... I had the football brain that, that that's a bit of a but that kind of he knew the game even as a youngster and and he did the classic to Jordan of going to Darlington on loan to go in did he go he went to Preston and doing that kind of but still obviously playing for England being at Sunderland going on loan and I can always remember he, when he went to Darlington and then he come on an international trip and he said size I've been bashed all over <laughs> You know, yeah. and that was his latest. But he was he was excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody else would have gone, "Oh, it's, it's horrific!" You know, you get smashed, and but he loved it. Yeah. Oh, you get bashed all over, but I'm still coming with me crosses and. Yeah, and I mean hey, the yeah, two. Play. So you mentioned also Jack Butland there, and Pickford. The, the the things they've got in common is going out on loan to lower league, yeah. getting bashed about. Newcastle fans listening. Will probably be really keen for for Freddie Woodman to do a yeah. similar thing. Yeah, is, is that something he yeah, must be he, itching he, he to needs do? That. To follow, he's itching and he needs to follow that. Yeah, that's his next next step. Yeah. really. Um, he's been out already, which has been great, but now needs to go to uh, if I can say a higher standard. Uh, like, well, probably the championship would be ideal, mm-hmm. and go and have a a season doing that, mm-hmm. and then we'll see where it goes from there. But that, that I think I think if you looked 
like you're saying, with, with goalkeepers who've been successful. I mean, Tim Krul would be another one. Tim followed the same, went to Falkirk. You go to Carlisle. Carlisle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like you say, Jack Butland, uh, Jordan. I think there's, I, I, it's funny, we had a look, I think there's been quite a few who've gone on, who've done that route. Mm-hmm. And because only one can play, I said this the other day, because only one can play, so you've got to go, you've got to yeah. go and play somewhere. It's very it's very rare for a goalkeeper to jump into the yeah. the number one spot. Yeah. Why hasn't Freddie gone just yet? Then is it just circumstance? Just circumstance. Yeah. Matthew, yeah. And it, it, well, it, just at the minute we've had a couple of injuries and that's caused a bit of a an issue. But but for his development and for the club's benefit, mm-hmm. then you know at some time he needs to he needs to go and play. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. That'll be. Yeah. It'd be great to see that this season. See how he gets on. Yeah. Let's fast forward then to your return. To Newcastle, right? This was under Steve McLaren. Steve McLaren, yes. So where were you at that stage? And what working was for the FA? Yeah, um, done seven years for the FA. Really enjoyed it, but was ready for a change. And to be honest, nearly well. Um, in the last year, because because Freddie played for Newcastle, Freddie wouldn't play for Newcastle, and he was my goalkeeper for the under seventeens at the time. England under England under seventeens. Yeah, I used to go in and watch him training. At Benton. At Benton. Yeah. And obviously at the time his dad was the first team goalkeeping Andy coach, Woodman. Andy Woodman. Yeah. Um, and I used to go in and watch and sometimes join in as a coach in the sessions and bits and pieces. Um, and it was quite it was quite funny because you, you start to... I was going to say wheedle your way back in. That's not really the what the, word, the phrase I was looking for, but it, it, You're it, in the seemed, circles. To, it seemed to happen like that. Yeah. It seemed to... Fred's playing, yes, you need to go in at least once a month, so I'm going in once a month, and then it just kind of built from there. And, and throughout the time in England, you were still living in Tynemouth, yeah. 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 So, so it was a nice it fit. It was a nice fit. And then, obviously, Alan Pardew left, and Andy Woodman was Alan Pardew's goalkeeper, and is, is, was, is, whatever. Andy then wanted to move to Crystal Palace with Alan Pardew, and then it all started to kind of fit together so there might be a might be your job you might be able to get your job back and okay right okay well I like the F, the FA thing I really enjoy but the thought the thought of one going back to the football club but then there's that thing of should you go back had such an unbelievable experience the first time Matthew honestly like I said before Premier League Champions League which was just a, is, is a different level should you go back some of the people are still there who you worked with before some different people, can you fit in? Mm-hmm. There was a bit of that going on. Um, but then, as I say, Steve McLaren gets a job. Paul Simpson, who is a Carlisle lad, had been the manager of Carlisle and tried to get me to go as a goalkeeping coach to Carlisle, but didn't because I worked for the FA. Um, yeah, uh, just said, look, Andy's going to go. Come and speak to us. See what your thoughts are. So I went to speak to them. This is summer 2015? Is... Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, straight away, uh, Steve McLaren, uh, excellent coach, great love talking about football, proper football man. Paul, that's very similar. Um, just felt very comfortable with him straight away, which was lovely. Going back in the building, how had the club changed in eleven years? Um, be- not not that much actually. I've got to say because we're still training at. Um, Dalsley Park or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. yeah the, the Newcastle Training Centre but it's really <laughs> Dalsley Park and um, yeah and as I say there's still there were still 
Derek Wright, Ray Thompson, the kit man, Derek Wright, the physio, George Ramshaw, kit man. Um, Neil Stoker. Neil Stoker, <laughs> yeah. Um, the security guys on the gate. They're all the same. It's all the same. Wow. So there was a real kind of comfortable feeling. Mm -hmm. um, as I say, and with a new Stephen Paul, felt really, yeah, happy, enjoyed, and so obviously accepted the job back. Um, different goal. Well, then you're into different goalies to work with. Um, who did you have then? You had, had Tim. Tim, who was injured. Tim, no, Tim got injured. Ah, right. So to start off with, I had Tim, Rob, Freddie, Carl Darlow. Yeah, yeah, Carl. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. So uh, for me, nice group. Um, I hadn't worked with any of them properly. So that was a you know a challenge if you want, and then um, yeah, and then like you say, unfortunately, so got Tim going, got in the team, doing really well, and then goes to play for Holland, does his knee, mm -hmm. it's like a oh, disaster. Mm -hmm. uh, then Rob, then Rob, then Rob plays, did really well, does his knee, mm -hmm. then Carl, then Carl plays, does really well, and then obviously that's when we get towards the change of. Yeah, Steve so, so around about February, March time. Yeah, I think it was the end of February, wasn't it? It comes to an end with, with Steve, and again, yeah. you're wondering what might happen. Yeah, and then you're in that the same position. Do you remember where you Just were? got the job back. Yeah. Do you remember and, how uh, you found out that it was going to be rougher? Um, yeah, just, just being at work. Just being at work, and then um, we've got... A, well, it, it, the, the, two, the two worst... Or the worst bit of being in professional football is that change of manager, and obviously it happened with Sir Bobby, and it's the, the dreadful feeling of not knowing what's going to happen. So Steve went, but very quickly. Um, so when Graham Souness came, uh, two two people who you've worked with for three years get a call to say. Uh, the manager wants a word. The new manager wants a word with you, and never came back. So we right. were in the dining room. John Carver and Dave Geddes go to speak to the manager, and never came back. Right. I'm sitting there with Paul Winspur, like waiting for the call, and I'm still sitting there. And then the new manager come in, Graham Souness. He says, "What are you two sitting there for? Get changed. We've got training in half an hour." It's like, well, all right, okay, then. that's great. So you've like kept your job. Brilliant. And then and I had a similar experience when Rafa came. Mm. It's like, so pe a few people got called to St. James's Park. Paul Simpson goes, doesn't come back. Steve obviously went, didn't come back. There was a, had a fitness coach as well, went, didn't come back. So you think, all right, okay, so I'm, I'm here, they've gone there, right? Let's, you know, mm -hmm. but you still don't want to take for granted. And then they said, oh, it's a new manager, it's going to be Rafa Benita. And it's like, you're kidding me. <laughs> you know, Rafa Benita's won the Champions League and... You know, famous managers, Real Madrid. Mm. I've just been watching him on the telly, you know, several months back. Mm -hmm. And then he appears and uh, I meet him in the corridor and he said, oh, Simon, and Lee Charney introduced me and this is, you, this is like, this is your goalkeeping coach, Simon. So I'm thinking, oh, okay then. So it looks like I've, I'm going to stay. But because he's such a, a diligent football man, do you think he would have done his research yes. on you and known? Yeah, still you know, I, 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 to this day, Matthew, I, I, he's never told me, but I'd love to know who he spoke to. <laughs> you got a good and, reference uh, from somebody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, so that was that was the start of the the Rafa thing, and then obviously he brought with him three uh, 
So Ian Cathro stayed, who was mm -hmm. Steve's coach, stayed. Uh, the great thing with Ian for me was that he could speak Spanish. Right. So to start off with, it was a great help. And then he brought um, he brought Paco Antonio, and he brought another his assistant first team coach, um, who then went to manage Verona. Yeah. So he came. Really nice people. Uh, spoke English, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I say one of them went to manage Verona. Mm -hmm. Wanted to be a um, Fabio. Sorry, Fabio. Mm -hmm. So Fabio left to manage Verona, and then he brought Mikelin, who who'd played for him at Real Madrid as a kid. That's right. Yeah. So Antonio and Mikel played for Rafa as young players, mm -hmm. and so he knows them really well. Mm -hmm. And Paco has been with him since they were at Valencia, wow. and gone all over with him. Wow. So they are a real tight knit group. So then me fitting in with that, it's like interesting mm -hmm. you know but do they speak mostly in spanish then mostly in spanish yeah, yeah. uh rafa speaks mostly in english mm -hmm. and will make sure that i understand what they're saying right so i have to say in that he's been fantastic so on the bench during games he's, he's speaking in spanish he speaks in spanish mm -hmm. but if i need to know anything you, you he'll, he'll tell mm -hmm. me in english mm -hmm. or if he wants to say something to me he speaks in english and and rafa is a, a qualified goalkeeping coach, isn't he? <laughs> I'm sure about qualified, oh, okay. but he has a real interest in it. Right. Uh, so, which took me by surprise, like, I've got to be honest, Matthew, when he first came, because he started to kind of question my thoughts on, in, in a nice way, you know, he wanted to know what my thoughts were, what my philosophies were, how did I write my sessions, how did I record my sessions, what was it technical, was it whatever? And as I say... It took me by surprise one, but the other thing that it did was it actually restored, I'm not saying I'd lost my enthusiasm, but it restored and gave me an extra little bit of enthusiasm, is that the right word? I better or, put you on your toes. Yeah, it kind of made me th think about things that, I'd, again, that I'd taken for granted. And, and to be fair to him, some of the things that he asked me and showed me were maybe a different way of recording my sessions and then to start off with, well, I'd like you to film your sessions and have a look and then it dawned on me one day that I'm filming them but is he watching them because he's interested mm -hmm. not because he's trying to catch me out mm -hmm. but also wanted to see you know what my work was like and, and and I think probably looking back now it probably took a good six months for him to trust me and that, I think I'm sure like you say he'd done his due diligence on me and people had always oh, a nice line and all that but from an actual goalkeeping coaching point of view he wanted to know for himself mm -hmm. that we were talking on the same lines. And, I mean, yeah. So it's, it was it was interesting mm -hmm. to start off with because it's like, as I say, he's not questioning what you're doing, but he, he has an interest. Yeah, that's good. That's good, I think. No, it is. And, and, it because, and it wasn't that kind of thing where take the goalies over there on their own. He wanted to know what you, what you were doing with them. Uh, and then after he still does it to this day. After every session, he'll ask me how the individuals were, what what they what they're like. Um, you know, are they are they happy? <laughs> are they happy? Are they sad? Are they you know? Or and then obviously and, and how did they do? So every we'll sit down every for session. lunch, he'll say goalkeepers, and he doesn't like. I found out very quickly that he he, he can't just say to him. So when we were looking for Martin, uh, you can't just if so he would send me a name of a goalie. Um, and I couldn't just write back. Oh no, I don't like him. 
or yes I do like him he'd say I want and then I'd get another email saying I want more so we I then had to enlarge on so then I had to go through the yeah got very good handling very good for this feet comfortable this feet bloody bloody blah and he wants the de he wants the detail mm -hmm. and again it's part of he also then by this time knew that I knew what I was talking about so kind of accepts what you're saying mm -hmm. but yeah he wants the he wants the detail so so me just say so when he says goalkeepers and I go yeah fine I know that's not he doesn't really want no, that he wants to know again you mentioned um, Martin Dubrovka yeah. there can you remember the first time you heard that name and had you had you heard of Martin yeah we got a we, were, we had a summer of uh, getting lists of goalkeepers because we were, we were on the lookout and um, yeah, so I, he, he was on a he was on a list, and I had a look at him, like quite like what I saw on the. We have a thing called Y Scout, and you can watch clips of the well, you can watch the whole games, clips of the games, different parts of it. It's 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 a very extensive thing, so watched him on there. Really like what we'd seen. He then went and spoke to. Uh, I went to and go rang up uh, Martin Skirtle, who we'd had at Liverpool, who was playing the same team. Oh. So to find out what he was like as a lad, did he mix? Did he was he a good personality? And this is in the summer. This was in the summer, yeah. And then, um, yeah, just went went from there. It seemed to become the best option. And mm -hmm. so Martin Dubravka had been discussed in the summer. Why didn't he come in the summer? Can you remember? No, I can't, no. I was just, that's what that's what I was just thinking about. I, I'm I'm trying to think why he didn't um, why he didn't come straight away. How many names were mentioned? Are we talking oh, hundreds? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean it was quite funny because we went on holiday to Mallorca, uh, Lucy and I, and every day I got an email from Rafa with probably four or five goalkeepers to look at on Y Scout. Wow. And um, yeah, I. I and he knew I was on holiday, obviously. Mm. But, so I was spending my mornings on holiday going through the names, emailing, emailing him at lunchtime. Sometimes he'd come, back, he'd come back to me in the afternoon and, yeah, proper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I say, if, if, if my report wasn't thorough enough, go back and look and <laughs> look again yeah. and tell me what you think. And right. I want to know this, that and the other. And which is, you know, quite right, mm -hmm. really. So Dubravka came in the January. Had he been? I assume he'd been watched by by scouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had you um, watched him? No, I hadn't watched him. I had just seen him on the mm -hmm. Y Scout thing. Um, but yes, we obviously there was a scouting department, and they they'd been to watch him. I'd seen him play twice, not live, but again uh, because they played England and Scotland in the qualifiers. Mm -hmm. So watched him play twice, if you know what I mean. Where you, I know you can't see something, but you get a feel for people. So that that was, and then yeah. So then Martin appears uh, on loan. Well, it was funny because we, we weren't quite sure how he was coming. If you know, was he on loan? We bought him. Was that? I'm not sure he was either. <laughs> he was all that, um, but he came, um, and then you're into the classic. Can can he survive in Premiership football? So he came, the first week he was way off the pace really like way off and i'm good so when when rafa sent me at lunchtime how's martin getting on it's like well he's have you not noticed that the balls just wasn't past him in the shooting or you know um and he's not catching very many and all the rest of it 
and then a week went another week went by and now you know well actually he's, he's starting to stop more he's getting up to speed okay then came the Crystal Palace game so Carl played he sub mm-hmm. and yeah so he so and then um, another week of training now he's all of a sudden and and I think this is really the key Matthew as I'm saying so he's had week one not saving very much week two saving more week three oh he looks quite good now so so him himself has improved over the time he's got he's seen what it's like he's adapted and then uh, the um, we we have a absolutely the 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 policy is and and right from the start Rafa said to me look Sam, you just work with them, get them to the best level that you can, technically, physically, the whole thing, and I'll pick who plays. And through the championship season, when we had a little bit of a change with Carl Robb and all the rest of it, that, that was the way it worked. So sometimes I didn't actually know who was playing because he made the decision. Don't get me wrong, he would tell me before it started, but <laughs> he, he, kept, he kept me out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's been really helpful because... I'm there to work with them to get the best out of them, not to pick who plays. Mm-hmm. So he does all that. So the week before we play Man United or the two days, he said, look, and Carl played really well at Crystal Palace. And uh, he said, I'm going to play Martin, Man United at home. Why do you think he chose that time? I think he, I think he saw in Martin somebody who um, was, well, I think one of the main things was that he was slightly more comfortable with the ball at his feet mm-hmm. than Carl. Mm-hmm. Carl had worked really hard at it, but at the time probably wasn't even as good as he is now. And I think that was one of the the, the major factors. He just, uh, yeah, so he said, I'm going to play Martin. So, right, yeah, fine, okay. Um, and it, what was interesting was about two weeks ago, I was talk- Martin and I were walking off the pitch after training on a Friday, and he said to me, you know, those first two weeks, he said, I was way off, wasn't I? And it's like, and I, and, I, and I couldn't bluff and say, no, no, you're fine. It's like, yeah, you were. I, I said, I actually worried because I've seen that, I'd, I'd seen that before when we've had people either on trial or whatever that they come and they never actually get to the pace. We, we had a young lad, I always remember it, he was called Russell Howarth, played for England under 17s, was going to be the, he was at York City, going to be the next best. And uh, we, we, we borrowed him for a couple of weeks to see what he was like in training. And I always remember he'd only been there about three days and I was sitting having my lunch with Sir Bobby and he said, he hasn't stopped anything yet. The ball keeps hitting the back of the net. I said, yeah, I know. And then two weeks later, he was still saying the same, mm-hmm. just hadn't got the ability to, mm-hmm. and that's always something that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. As I say, then Martin came and then we played against Man United and it's like, ah, right, okay. But to be fair, he'd actually, in the, in the England-Scotland game, he'd played not dissimilar to how he did against Manchester United. Right. So there was part of me felt, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying this because of what happened, but there was bits of it that you could see that he was very good. Mm-hmm. And But then the other bit that we spoke about at length was he'd never played really in front of 52,000 people. Didn't quite appreciate the... the I would say enormity of it or the pressure that went with it and dealing with all that... And yeah, I, and it's been funny because one of the things that he, I'm not saying he struggled with, but he hasn't been used to, is actually the adulation. Right. So he was absolutely 
overwhelmed when they first sang his name. Wow. And I always remember we walked off and he said, Simon, they were singing my name. I was like, yeah, because, you know, you played well and, like, you think that's it. And he went, it was, it was, I, was, I was quite emotional when they started singing my name. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. But where he's come from, it, you see, he's come from, and then obviously you get, you know, you, because you, you don't, like, you've watched them, but you don't know what they're like as people. But then within the first three days, I gathered that he knew Pavel Cernicek, which was a great in for me because I'd years ago, in between the Sunderland, Newcastle, Carlisle, I'd done some work with Pav on his own uh, when he f- the club didn't fell out with him and before he went to Sheffield Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I used to take one on his own up to um, Blue Star up by the airport and then mentioned it to Martin and then Martin said, oh, I know pa- oh, knew Pavel and went into the story of how he'd played, what he wanted him to go to. He was at a different club, but he wanted him to go to Sparta Prague, but he didn't go because he wouldn't be first choice and... But it all all said to him, you know, you you will go on and make a fine goalie, and stuck and all that. So there was that. It was a it was a real nice in for me, mm-hmm. yeah, because as I say we had something in common, and um, but but has never, you know, it's like he he calls me coach, right? <laughs> Still now yeah. he, he calls so like I text him and say yeah, we have a review after the game. So this morning we had a review and I say Martin, can you do nine forty five? And he writes back, yes, coach, I'll be there. <laughs> and then um, he won't let me carry the balls, the bag of balls after training. He said, in my country, the coach does not carry the balls. Wow. The players carry the balls. And it's little things like that. Yeah. So, is it? Uh, yeah, and great lad, done very, very well. For me, he's getting better. Uh, he's a leader. And, yeah, it would be interesting yeah. to see <laughs> where he ends up. <laughs> I, I like everything I've seen from yeah. him so far. Um but can we talk about the the fox drop with Mitrovic yesterday? We're talking <laughs> the day after the Fulham game. Yes. Did he get away with one with with this Mitrovic? Yeah, he did. He did. What he what happened was he controlled it in between his feet, and then he's. To be fair, it, it wasn't as, um, I thought it was a block tackle, but what he what he actually did, Martin did, was he he, he dropped his shoulder. Yeah. And, and moved the ball. The unfortunate thing was Mitro put his foot up and blocked the ball, which just caused you that moment of, oh, oh my mm. word. Yeah, so I'm sitting there and it's like, oh, no, please. But it, when I've when I watched it back 13 times with him this morning, it wasn't actually as... Her, I would say not horrific. That's not very... I shouldn't use that word. Uh, not as... Not as bad yeah, as it bad looks. Bad as it looks, yeah. 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 It's quite good, quite clever technically what he did, and he was also physically very strong to resist the challenge from yeah, the was. Was Yeah, he was. So when he so when he went to block it, Martin was actually coming forward. Mm-hmm. I think if he if he'd like even if he'd leaned back, I think it might have gone the other way. Yeah. But what I liked, I said to him this morning, what I liked about it was that he had the confidence to to try. <laughs> if you're in that situation, it's like so. His other option was he could have kicked it first time, but he, he would because Mitro was so close. It could have been the classic, like you kick it against the lad and it was just passing at the yeah, goal. Yeah. So at least, as I say, he had the confidence in the thing to try and shift it. Well, by dropping his shoulder to try and shift it and get away from him. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. So our, our supporters, our hearts are in our mouth. You're probably Coaches, a thousand times same. worse. Did Rafa turn around on, on the bench and say anything? No, no. That's I, not him? No, no. Uh, no, no, yeah, he has done, but it's more... Um, 
you know, he'll say to me, we, we, do, we, don't, we, don't, we want to play, but we don't want to take risks. So the only thing I got this morning was, you need to tell them not to take a risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So That's fair enough. It's fair enough. It's fair enough. And and and, he, and Rafa was straight onto the pitch afterwards. He, he often debriefs players on the pitch. I've noticed he him does. do this with the defenders yeah. and 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 he and he always debriefs with something. Um, <laughs> so so when we played Huddersfield, Martin for me played particularly well. He made a couple of really good saves, and Rafa then approached him on the pitch, and Martin thought he was going to congratulate him on a clean sheet and a win, and he said to him, "You must squeeze the back four up." higher <laughs> and I think it and, and but that's that's the manager he, he, if he's got something to say he says it yeah so he give him the feedback even though Martins think he's going to get a bat on the back yeah he give him the feedback straight away yeah and like the same yeah you know, don't take any risks yeah we want you to play but don't take any risks I mean this checks out yeah. with what a lot of former Rafa Benitez players have said that he's very attention to detail and yeah the pra- when you think he's going to praise you he's actually going to critique your performance so yes it's it's very it's very interesting. Um, so just a couple more questions. We could probably talk for another hour, but uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. A couple of questions from from my point of view. Goalkeeping in in twenty eighteen is very different from goalkeeping in nineteen seventy eight when your career began. <laughs> the distribution's massive now. What, what trends do you think are going to come into play in the next ten years? We've kind of had the Manuel Neuer sweeper keeper yeah. era. Now we're on to the, the Edison, Pickford distribution. Anything you see in that, that might yeah, creep I, in? Yeah. I, I don't know whether it'll creep in, Matthew, but what I've really noticed is that there's a generation now of people, of goalkeepers, sorry, who are playing, well, do, or, or, who, are, who are just, I was going to say playing for, for, for England, but that's probably because, who are, who are very comfortable with their feet. Mm. So where as before? So it was funny. We were talking about the other day, when when the rule changed, I was still playing. So overnight it went from, and mm. and when you tell people now they don't believe you that you could dri- dribble it round the box and then bounce it a couple of times and then kick it, and they look at you as though they say, so on first game farmer away, so they say as you're warming up. Oh, by the way, when it comes back to you, you can't pick it up. Like you've read about it, but like that was the first time. And lo and behold, I couldn't pick it up, and the kids blocked it, and it shot in the goal. The first game, first game of the new rule. Of the new rule wow. I've I've succumbed <laughs> to wow. the classic, and then it was either kick it as far as you can, and nobody's ever scored from row C in the stand. So if it comes to you, just kick it anywhere, get it out of the goal. To now, if you if you think that, so that was it, and that wasn't just me. That was if you watch Premiership, Premiership, probably yeah. Mm-hmm. At the time, Premiership football, they were doing the same. Kick it as far as you can. When it comes back, just put your foot through it. There was no passing or anything. And and now when you see it, like you say, at the top level, Jordan, um, Edison, Allison, I'm going to throw Martin in there. Yeah, comfortable. Absolutely. And then, and then and they've taken it, again, at that level to a different level, if you want. But now like I'm saying even... Um, I took the I took Newcastle United's under eight development centre goalkeepers last a week last Friday. Under eights, do they, are they going to be goalies and all? I get all them questions, but these little goalies have turned up, and they're passing with their feet, lovely, wow. having a touch, moving the ball. They know where to support. They know where, and you're thinking, oh, hang on a sec. Like you say, going back to 
have to allude at this moment that I did coach you for <laughs> a little period yeah. as a goalkeeper. Yeah. But, you know, that we just did shot stopping yeah. and handling and you never... You might have done a little bit of within like a footwork thing of, you know, playing a volley back to the server's hands, but that was about as far as footwork and, and using your feet went. And then it was like, well, we're going to practice the volley. How far can you kick it? Half volley. But now, as I say, we, we, we're getting footballers who can play in goal. I think recently, that if you you're saying about the trends, I think it went a bit too far the other way. So it was like, like this, oh, what about his passing? Oh, what about his touch? What? And it's, yeah, but, but he's let three balls go straight through his hands. So you went too far. As I say, sometimes you were edging that too far to being, isn't he great with his feet? What about his distribution? Yeah, but actually the role is stopping it going in the goal. But then it's, I think it's come back a little bit that people are saying, well, yeah, you need to be able to do both. Mm -hmm. And like you say and we're saying the best the best ones can do both so they can keep it out the goal they've got all them technical things and that technical ability that we've tried to master over the years but also now they've got skills with their feet that are out, outfield playerish mm -hmm. and you know sometimes probably as good if not better and are these under ace trying sidewinders trying to be do what Pickford and Edison yeah, do that, yeah and that, that's that, yeah it's that, that's the interesting bit um, because other bits of it have have gone out of the game so you see Jordan Pickford hit a side volley or a sidewinder whatever you want to call it a side volley into somebody's path over 60 metres and and the kids like like always see it and think oh yeah that's something I, I'm going to try but what they forget and I'm going to say this I've actually said this to Jordan what they forget is uh, what about throwing it to the free fullback? Because if that comes off, it's fantastic. And he and he does it on one, maybe one or two occasions a game. Mm -hmm. But when he tries and it doesn't work, and he could have thrown it to the fullback. So bits that have gone out of the game are throwing. So in, in my day, the goalie was catch the ball. If it comes from the right, throw it to the left. If it comes from the left, throw it to the right. Now it would be pass to the left, pass to the right. But what you can't do is miss out using the right tech the correct technique at the right time and making the right decision so if you could and, and the other bit is has is been able to half volley yeah so i was speaking to somebody the other day who is a kicking expert mm. uh, which we get the occasional we had a guy called dave aldred who worked with johnny wilkinson he came into the club previously when shay and darps were there very interesting on the techniques of kicking and all the rest of it and anyway, there's a, another guy who's got, I can't remember the name, but he's come to the fore now. And he said, why do people not half volley anymore? Mm. So it's quite a difficult skill. He said, well, I, you do realise it's actually quicker than the side volley. And I, and I thought, oh, that's an interesting one. And again, where that's come from is the influx of Spanish, Portuguese. I, I think probably, I, I remember Argentinian, probably. Somebody said, I've seen this Argentinian lad and he can kick it like this. And it's amazing how that kind of flourishes into a, yeah, I must be able to, to side volley. And, and then, as I say, throwing disappears out the window because they'd rather do that and then throw it and mm -hmm. throw it. Yeah, so as I say, just recently, I've, I've tried to, within the academy and even with ours, because, because they can all throw it. Mm. And they can throw it really well. 
but it's like we've forgotten how to use it. Mm-hmm. So there's there's been a bit of that going on going on as well. Don't so don't just get get blinkered with oh, I'm going to side volley it. And Martin's been interesting because Martin can side volley it, but he likes to kick it off the floor and right. he's very accurate off the floor. You might not think that, but if you look at his stats. I'm going to be geekish here. I say yesterday, if he had 30 kicks, his percentage is probably about 83, 85 right. accuracy. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always control brought down and we play from there, but it, it as I say, it's got, you've got a, and, and that, but he prefers. And then the other day when he, he said he hurt his ankle, he then, he then threw a couple of balls and there's nearly a bit of a gasp in the crowd. He threw one to Rondon on halfway, so he's thrown it from the 18-yard box to halfway, and lovely throw, and it went right into his chest, and there was nearly like a, oh, he's thrown it. <laughs> but nowadays, people would expect you to side volley. Yeah. So it's it, it, as I say, it, and that, and I think that's how it's it's maybe, developed. Maybe we'll call 360, and the the throw will come back into it. Yeah. Schmeichel yeah. was hitting the halfway line with his throws, and well, 90s. that's the interesting Matthews. I found some footage of Schmeichel, Bartes, and Van der Sar. And if you watch their distribution, even now, it's wow. Using different techniques to the side volley, for example. So, yeah, what? And I, but I think you're right. I think there's there is. I mean, and it's funny because Rafa, Rafa will say to me sometimes there is only a certain amount to goalkeeping because it is there are a certain set of skills, there are a certain set of situations. Not, you know, obviously outfield. There's there is. Millions of different situations, but goalkeeping is quite specific, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that's what we need to make sure that. And I think that's part of the job is to make sure that the. I read we have a young goalie Nathan Harker, and he said he wrote a little thing in the program yesterday saying, "I know I've got all the tools in the box, but one I need to know when to use them, and I need to be able to use them consistently." And I thought, oh, I, I said to him this morning, as a coach, I'm having that. Yeah, you know. And that's really what it's all about. So, yeah. Yeah. so last one then. Um, you've had a, two really good spells with, with, with Newcastle. Happy to end your career at the club? Oh. Yeah, yes. I mean, <laughs> that's a, that is a great question. I think I, I would love them to get in, back in the Champions League. I, I, like I said before, Matthew, I hit on a I hit on the Sir Bobby Robson time when, if he, if you had a a wish list of things that would happen to you, as a as a coach as a former player to get in the Premier League as a coach, and then to get in the Champions League and all that 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 brings the nights the music, your ground looks different, you're on the pitch with, you know, we played uh, Leverkusen. And one of my heroes, rightly or wrongly, was Harold Schumacher, the German goalie. And he was their goalkeeping coach. And I actually nearly ran into him on the pitch. And it's like, I've looked at him and thought, hang on a second. I'm on the same, I'm on the same pitch here as, you know. And that, the, so, it, and it would be, and what I would, and obviously Rafa's had that experience. And, this, and his staff have had that experience. And it would be lovely to, I'd love to have another, what I'm really saying is I'd love to have another go. I'd like to be high enough in the Premier League to be at the top, be at the top, and all that that brought, and expecting to win every week, and and then in the Champions League thing. Mm-hmm. Because as I say, well, I was going to say that there's for 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 a 
an experience as a coach. And it's something that I don't think I probably realised until you're in it, that that it, it it does take players to a different level. It was funny we had this discussion the other week there. It's like, would you rather play international football or Champions League? So Champions League football, you could play against a team like Real Madrid where they've got the best players of the countries throughout the world. Mm. Whereas if you play against Germany, oh, I love Germany's product. Well, yeah, maybe Germany. They're not all, they're not all world class. They're, they're very good, mm -hmm. but they're not all world class. Mm -hmm. Probably Germany's a bad example, but say that there's a, there is a difference that club sides now have, the top club sides now, if you look, have nearly hand-picked the best players. Mm -hmm. So the standard of it, 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 it was actually a very, it was a very good discussion to which there was actually no answer. Mm -hmm. You know, because obviously a lot of people who play in the Champions League play international football anyway. Mm. So there was that thing of playing for your country, but it just does take it. And, and I think what what made me realise that the first time was Shea Given, he was playing for Newcastle and regarded as one of the best in the league one of the best in Europe, one of the best in the world. He had a World Cup where he did very well. But the Champions League, I'm not. it, it kind of took him to another level where you had to do things even better than you did in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. and, and as a coach sitting there thinking, yeah, you've got to get them to that level is a bit of a, a, bit of a challenge, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Back to the champ, back to the new camp, back to the San Siro. It's a nice thought to, to leave. Yeah, it on. well, uh, I mean, as I said before, fantastic experiences. Uh, half of it was the fact that you got to warm up on the pitch the night before, mm -hmm. and that brought <laughs> many a story and a tale of somebody shouting at me because the bus was leaving in <laughs> ten minutes and I was still on the pitch, and he would stand at the side of the Simon, <laughs> get off the pitch, and the bus is going without you. <laughs> no, fantastic, fantastic memories. We could. Probably do several podcasts, but I think that's that's enough for no, now. It's been really. really great to chat. You enjoyed it. No, thank you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.